So would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Sound check. Going? Going? Good? Can everyone hear okay? All right. Thank you. So a happy Father's Day to all the ones of you who are privileged to be dads on this day. Um, I wish for you the Lord's blessings on this special day. I'm very Thankful for family who's able to be with us today. Daughter Lynn, husband Brian, son-in-law, daughter, their daughter Annalise, and Isaac's here, somewhere running around in the building, right? Somewhere, somewhere. Uh, so we're glad for, to have family with us today. It makes me a little more nervous as I <laughs> contemplate bringing to you a message from God's Word. We have so much to be thankful for. Let's pray and ask for God's guidance in the understanding of his word of truth. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for the celebration of fathers among us, the great privilege of fatherhood. Bless this day, time with family, time with friends, and we give thanks for this, your word of truth from the psalmist, from David. We thank you for this testimony to delight your desire to take delight in us, for us to experience delight and the pleasures that you give us so graciously. Guide us now in the study of your word. Bless this continuing time of worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my assigned focus in this Sabbath series is on the practice of Delight, finding ways to engage in and experience delight in the rhythms of Sabbath rest. 
Last Sunday, Josh guided us in the actual practice of rest and what it could look like in our experience as we receive not the duty of Sabbath, but the gift of Sabbath. Early on, he provided a connection in last week's sermon between Psalm 131, with its emphasis on calm and quiet, manifested in the contentment of, a, of a, the picture of a weaned child. And then he correlated that with Jesus' ministry as recorded for us in the Gospels, in particular the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. You might remember there was a discussion going on among Jesus' disciples, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus doesn't just respond right away verbally. He takes a child, places a child in their midst, and he declares, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, on this subject of delight, I therefore decided to go to the experts of delight, and I enjoyed the privilege this past week of interviewing seven of our grandchildren with the question, what is delight? What's it like to experience delight, to enjoy something, to experience pleasure in good things? And they were not lacking in responses and great insights into this subject of delight. So seven of the grandchildren I interviewed, five boys, two girls, ages four to ten. So I give you those details in case there are any statisticians in the room who might be inclined to analyze my findings and my observations. So near the first of the week, I began interviewing them on this subject and just asked them what first comes to mind when they hear the word delight. What is it like for them to experience delight? And the conversation went on, and we just, I just probed a bit into their own experience of delight. What gives them joy and pleasure? The responses were lots of fun and delightful. Let me just give you some things. Pizza, wind, mirrors, water and rainbows, flowers, hats, lampposts, frogs, particularly the way they breathe and jump and make noise, fancy desserts, fancy clothing. That was toward the upper end of the age spectrum. Hummingbirds, wind chimes, butterflies, elephants, trees, my brother, hot dogs, mac and cheese, ice cream, Legos, puzzles, books, the color pink, cake, riding my bike, cockroaches, oh my word, <laughs> outdoor space, outdoor time doing things with and being with my mom and dad. I also engage in discussions with a few adults, and I'm thankful for the TEACH team and the work they do each week, helping me uh, in the preparation for this time. So I spoke to some of them and some other adults uh, in my circle of friends, um, and here's what I heard. Uh, you know, similar things, but... Again, uh, at the adult stage of life, peaceful getaways, uh, 
family gatherings. I heard the word sleep a lot from adults and delight. Unhurried, unworried, relaxation, all good stuff. I did notice a difference between the conversations with adults and with children on this subject of delight. Children were much more spontaneous, let's say, in their responses to the questions. Whereas adults, myself included, as I asked myself the question, tended to focus more on orchestrated and planned situations of delight, some spontaneity, but not quite as much as in the responses of children. Children were way more expressive, emotional, and quite animated in their responses to the questions. Their bodies were moving, their facial expressions were obvious as they blurted out words and expressions and shared some of their experience of the reality of delight. For children, delight is something that just happens. They are much more attentive, I think, sometimes to the surprise and to the spontaneity associated with the experience of delight. For children, the experience of delight seems much more attuned to receiving unexpected things, celebrating beauty and wonder as a kind of everyday norm versus something exceptional, as might tend to be the case for us as adults. So let me just give you a little brief overview of where we're going in this message today. I'm going to tell some stories. Um, I was told in seminary, don't ever tell personal stories. That's not, that's not a good way to preach, uh, but I'm getting over that slowly in my own faith, faith journey. Uh, I want to tell a few stories. And we're going to look at delight, maybe, maybe think in terms of persona, personifying delight, delight as a character in the telling of these stories and what we might discover. Delight is the protagonist, so to speak, in these stories. And every good story also has an antagonist. So we're going to ask the question, what are the enemies of the experience of delight? I think there's a primary enemy, and it really comes, came forth in our singing and our worship this morning. Uh, so here we go. Bear with me. Uh, in this series of study of the Sabbath, laying the theological biblical foundation for it, and now getting into actual concrete practices, there have been lots of references, and in the Ephesians series as well, to the importance of gratitude in our lives, the importance of living in a disposition of gratitude, walking with a grateful kind of posture, embracing life every day with gratitude. Thankful in all things. So what have I learned from paying attention to expressions of delight in children is that such expressions themselves, the expressions of delight in the world of children can be seen as expressions of gratitude in their own right. In, indulge me for a moment here, if you will. Let's assume for a moment that gratitude and thankfulness can be measured and that there's something called a gratitude meter, okay? So you can measure this thing called gratitude. Travel with me for a moment to past Christmas gatherings of our family and the opening of Christmas gifts. I have so many memories of the smiles and the squeals of children opening gifts 
expressing great delight and great pleasure in the opening of those gifts. I remember myself as a parent during those gatherings. Now before the smiles and squeals are over, I, as a good parent, must remind each child to go across the room to thank grandmother or granddaddy, Aunt Becky, Uncle Tim, for this wonderful gift that they have received. Perhaps all the while missing the very real possibility that the smiles and squeals themselves are somewhere on the spectrum of gratitude, expressing gratitude, and that the walk across the room to say thank you, I'm not devaluing that, might be a bit anticlimactic for both the child and the gift giver. I have wonderful memories of Aunt Becky, for example, aunt to our children, my sister-in-law. Her visible delight over the smiles and the squeals as they opened a gift from her and Uncle Tim, as though she had already seen gratitude at its highest level on the gratitude meter. Then here's Dad before the smiles and squeals are over, reminding the child to be sure to thank Aunt Bucky and Uncle Tim. That's not a, a bad thing, the personal connection between givers and receivers, and the memories of our children expressing gratitude to the gift givers and hugging them, those memories are priceless as well. But perhaps looking back, I could have allowed more time for the full bodily expression of delight in itself, expressions of gratitude in their own right. Truth to tell, transparency here, Maybe the thank you thing was just a way to keep this long process moving because there were other children and other cousins before we could get to the delight of the Christmas dinner. So, the story of delight. Delight is the protagonist, but there's an antagonist lurking in the shadows. Delight is certainly a whole person experience in the lives of children. Their hearts, souls, minds, and bodies are all in when it comes to delight in, in my experience. But this is also the case throughout the Psalms from which we read this morning, written by adults, I would remind us. Delight many times expressed in terms of singing and dancing the full range of emotions and feelings, heart, mind, body, and soul. In this psalm that was read this morning, verse, verse 9, for example, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 11, you, made no, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever more. King David's reference to pleasures forevermore offered from, from God's right hand is kind of symbolic of, his, of God's favor. The right hand has to do with God's favor, his care, his protection for his people, a very concrete metaphor about God's involvement in our lives. But pleasures forevermore. David without shame. David had these shameless moments. Remember the time he danced and was that his wife was embarrassed about his dancing before, before the Lord, a, a person of tremendous emotional expression, 
whole full body expression of delight. Children unashamedly express gratitude in the form of delight. So I would suggest that delight is the most intense expression of gratitude on the gratitude meter. But then there is, I believe, a constantly lurking enemy, antagonist of delight. Every story, every good story has an antagonist. So I've been asking that question as well. What are the enemies? What are the primary enemies of experiencing and expressing delight? What gets in the way and would suppress any inclination on our part to smile, to laugh, to dance, to squeal, and to experience something of delight in its fullest capacity? The ultimate question here really is, and again I appreciate the verbiage of the worship songs this morning, do you know that God takes great delight in you, first and foremost? <laughs> do you imagine God delighting in you and taking great delight in you? Let's take a look at a couple of scripture passages, one in the prophet Zephaniah. On that day, this is the third chapter of Zephaniah. Not a prophet. Anybody read Zephaniah recently? <laughs> Stuck there with the so-called minor prophets. Just small, uh, minor in terms of length, but, but great in terms of message. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This picture of God taking great delight in his people. And then the prophet Isaiah, 60, 62nd chapter. You shall no more be termed or called forsaken, and your land shall no more be called desolate. But you shall be called, and this translation translates the Hebrew, my delight is in her, Hephzibah, this is the actual Hebrew word. My delight is in her, God saying, really, my delight is in you. And your land, called Beulah, which means married, emphasizing God's tremendous attachment to his people and the great delight that God takes in his people. Travel with me, if you would, into a most unusual experience of delight during my own childhood that I think helps us to come to terms with a major enemy of delight. And I believe that that major enemy has something to do with our own sense of value within ourselves and our sense of value in others, God-given value in ourselves and in others. I was around 10 years old, as I recall. This was in the 1960s. During summers, I would spend time on my grandparents' farm in Iredell County, about an hour north of Charlotte. On their farm, they had created a fishing pond that was fed by an underground spring. As the pond developed, they stocked it with fish, brim, bass, catfish, and carp. Any carp fisher people in the... Okay, so I need to, I'll need to share a little bit about carp fishing. <laughs> Mr. Gillespie, a larger-than-life customer at the fishing pond, 
a larger-than-life figure, an expert carp fisherman, came there on a regular basis, and for some reason, his name was John, my name was John, he took great delight in me and in my success as a budding carp fisherman. One day I was walking around the pond and stopped at the spot on the dam where he had several of his lines in the water. Now just a little bit about carp fishing, they are bottom feeders, and if my biology is correct, I think they are related to goldfish, uh, but they get huge. Uh, there was one over 30 pounds in this uh, small uh, farm pond that my grandparents ran. My grandmother actually caught a 19-pounder one time. She loved fishing herself. The craft of making the bait, creating your bait, and fishing was something in itself. They would create dough using cornmeal and other materials. Uh, and some, some would put cotton in the dough to give some consistency and something that held it together a bit. And then flavors like blackberries was in. Some of them had, some of the carp fishermen had secret recipes and we're going to share their recipe with other carp fishermen. But the craft of making the bait was something in itself. And then putting the bait on the hook wrapping it around in kind of an oblong shape, but of course covering the hook completely and making sure, carp being bottom feeders, that there was you know, sufficient weight in addition to the dough ball to take it down to the bottom where the carp were looking for food. So I was walking across the dam and Mr. Gillespie's reels were lying there, several of them lying next to one another on the dam. And then the rods were resting in little devices stuck in the ground to keep them up off the ground. And then the line goes down into the water. And he would take a little ball of dough and put it on the line to give some tension. And also the filament line's difficult to see and kind of blends into the water to give you a point of reference if you started getting a bite. The dough on the line would start popping up and down a little bit. So. He had, he, and so anyhow, I, I stopped to chat with him a bit. And all of a sudden, one, on one of his lines, the dough ball started popping up and down. And that could happen for a long, long time. I always wondered, what is it? You know, every, every different fish has a different way of eating, it would seem. Uh, so the carps, this is the evidence that he's sucking on the, on the dough ball. Uh, and then eventually, you know, once that movement began, you knew, okay, something way more exciting is about to happen. The fish would inevitably take off at some point, unpredictable as to when, with the dough ball, causing the spool in the reel to, for a fisherman, that's like, that's music to the ears. Uh, so the, the reel is singing, so to speak, and on this occasion I stopped to hang out with Mr. Gillespie. The dough ball on one of his lines was jumping up and down, and I just waited to see what would happen. All of a sudden, the fish took off with the bait. Again, I can hear the spinning of the spool as if it were yesterday. Mr. Gillespie grabbed the reel, waited just a moment to allow more line to go into the water, and then he suddenly stopped the spool from spinning and jerked the rod toward himself, thus anchoring the hook that was inside the dough into the fish's body. Then the excitement only escalated. To my great surprise, 
he handed me the rod. Ten-year-old boy. And the rod and the reel, and he instructed me to keep turning the handle to bring in the catch. He had set the uh, drag on the reel to ensure that the line would not break, so the fish was still gaining a bit on me, upon uh, on us. And it seemed like forever that whatever was on the other end of the line kept pulling more line off of the reel, off of the spool. Over time, the fish became more and more tired, and I began to make progress, slowly, methodically bringing it closer to the shoreline. All the while, Mr. Gillespie was encouraging and coaching me with great delight and laughter. He was dancing almost. I mean, it was, it was, it was strange. I was excited, and here he was dancing and telling me, you know, just coaching me uh, here and there. I can remember his laughter. I can just see his dancing all around this situation. He was well over six feet tall. In my, and I was always short. My mom called me the runt of the litter in our family. It's very affirming, right? Uh, <laughs> but my, in my excitement and, and tenacity as I reeled that 12-pound monster to the shoreline. Now, I haven't told this story very often, Lynn. Have you ever heard this story? No. So I haven't told it enough for the fish to get bigger and bigger, okay? And we actually, we actually weighed the fish. It, it weighed in at 12 pounds, and so that has stuck with me. Mr. Gillespie scooped it up with the net, and he continued to laugh, to smile, and to take great delight in that moment. This larger-than-life figure to me also happened to be a person of color in the Jim Crow South in the 1960s, a person whose ancestors had been enslaved, a person whose life journey and many his kin and many others in this country, we celebrate tomorrow in a national holiday called Juneteenth, remembering the reality of the official declaration of freedom for slaves in post-Civil War Texas reminding us not to forget ongoing slaveries that came in the form of Jim Crow laws after the Civil War, and even more, sadly, recent manifestations of horrible, hate-filled racism. In my own life journey, looking back, Mr. Gillespie, ironically, was like God showing up in a very unexpected way to take great delight in me. He knew way more than I did about the importance of valuing others and valuing ourselves, including this little struggling 10-year-old uh, white boy. There's no greater enemy of delight than the devaluing of ourselves and others. To fall into the deep well of doubting our worthiness, doubting that we are indeed worthy of pleasure and delight by God's design, thereby missing the wonder of beauty in others and in ourselves. Yet God's word screams loudly, and in the worship music deeply embedded in God's word, screams loudly that God does indeed value us, takes great delight in us, and desires that we take great delight in him. 
simply by enjoying the many pleasures that he has graciously given. Now our own life stories might include experiences that scream loudly about life, God's delight in us. On the other hand, those stories might raise tremendous questions as to whether God does truly care about us, much less delight in us. In my own life story, every day wasn't an exciting carp fishing day. The carp fishing episode was the exception, certainly not the norm. But in the storminess of my own life journey, that one moment provided an impactful glimpse into the broader beauty of the grace of delight that became more and more precious for me over time. So not only would I invite you to take stock of moments in your own life journey when someone took great delight in you up against the enemy of delight that says, hey, you're not worth it. You'd be the last person that God would take delight in. When you perhaps experience a sense of God's delight, let me invite you to consider delight not only as something to express because of a gift received, but also as a gift to be given. Now this is Father's Day. I could lay guilt upon guilt upon us as fathers and the things that we have failed at in our journey as fathers. As I ask this question, when did you last express great delight in one of your children? The most intense way of valuing them, the most intense expression of gratitude for them and for who they are. Oh, I remember so many. You, you have regrets as a father, right? You look back, but you, you just can't wallow in those things. Our son, Tim, every year reminds me of the time that one of his sisters was all out of sorts. I mean, she was hurting and suffering. I come around the corner, Tim happens to be there. I quickly come to the conclusion that Tim is the culprit. Poor Tim, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> he received the punishment all along. It was his brother, Jonathan, who was by then out of sight, who was the true culprit. Wow, did I do a lot of repenting and seeking forgiveness. I'm amazed at how forgiving children are. As dads, there's so much we would do a different way, right? But here is the now. It's never too late for us as fathers to value our children, to take great delight in them, whether they're still at home or not at home. When did you last celebrate the success of one of your children or just being with them? It's never too late, regardless of where we might be in our life journeys and where our children might be. Now, finally, what does all this have to do with Sabbath practices and the rhythms of Sabbath? Josh, ha Josh has already invited us to taste the goodness of rest during whatever time we carve out for Sabbath. So where does delight come into play? This very intense experience of gratitude for the 
goodness of God and all that he has given us and the goodness of his world and creation, family, friends, and one another. Where does this come into the picture? Josh has encouraged us to consider adopting Sabbath practices as a kind of patient process. Don't rush. Don't get in a hurry. That's contrary to what Sabbath is all about. Not getting hung up on just getting it right or all at once, but instead taking steps week by week toward what a full experience of Sabbath rest might look like in our various different circumstances and, and, and life realities. So assuming that somehow Sabbath rest and delight are closely related, I invite you to consider how the practice and experience of delight might become integral to your own experience of Sabbath rest. Josh, Josh has mentioned food preparation ahead of time and simply the enjoyment of that food. I say, pull all the stops on eating and enjoying delicious food. By the way, trivia, etymology, if you're into history of words, delight and delicious come from the same root. Take time to savor food in an unhurried manner, to unashamedly experience the pleasure of good food. While we were living in Baltimore for 10 years before coming, relocating here, we discovered the pleasant taste of steamed crabs. Oh my, that's good meat. That makes you want to sing and dance. But getting to the delicious flavor of the crab meat involved a time-consuming process of hammering, cracking, kind of a dissection on the table in a science lab, not only for enjoying the delicious crab meat, but also just for slowing down and enjoying being with one another in the process of savoring that delicious crab meat, enjoying the feast in community with friends and with family. I'll just give a, a, a brief list of practical suggestions you might consider for integrating delight and the experience of delight into your Sabbath practices in addition to gathering around the table and eating good food. Allow me, if you will, just to throw out a few, a few possibilities. Maybe a slow walk in your neighborhood, paying attention to and delighting in the sounds of birds, beholding and appreciating the creative landscaping of neighbors, listening to the wind and watching the trees dancing in the wind, delighting in artistic expression by listening to music. Now my family is very glad that I have earphones sometimes because our musical tastes don't always line up, right? <laughs> They're laughing. They know about my affinity, my crazy Bob Dylan one minute, reggae the next minute, and then Johnny Cash. <laughs> they think I'm nuts. <laughs> or reading a good novel or a short story. Discern what best opens your hearts. And you should. God is pleased in you enjoying what brings delight to you. These are his good gifts at the end of the day. To experience pleasure in the ongoing development of practices of Sabbath rest. Indeed, experiencing Sabbath rest and delight 
they go hand in hand. Delight is as an intense experience of gratitude and a way to draw closer into the presence of God. And in this worship service, let's not underestimate what we're about to do as we receive the bread and the cup every Sunday. It is our privilege to experience a visible and tangible proof of the delight that God takes in us individually and as the community of God's people. Christ, Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, we are invited to join the feast. Or, to quote from another, another of the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word of truth, for your affirmation of our value by the very delight that you take in us. Continue to mold and shape our hearts in worship and in the practice of Sabbath rest that we might grow all the more in the experience of delight and intense gratitude for your goodness, for your glory, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.